Well, amen. You sang that well. That's a, a difficult tune, isn't it? Um, but such great words in that. Speaking about our foe, uh, the devil, uh, Satan, and yet the one who has power over Satan, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the chosen man, the man of God's own choosing, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has power over Satan, who has displayed that at Calvary over sin and indeed over death and we praise him for that that's how we meet in this place today in his name the living christ who has defeated satan we're coming to a very serious topic today uh, as we think of the fall and we're turning to genesis chapter 3 please Uh, genesis chapter 3 and we're going to read the first nine verses here uh, found in genesis chapter 3 And we're coming to now our eighth study in Genesis, and we've made it to chapter 3, and we'll take our time through this. And chapter 3 wasn't my intention, but as we go through it, we will find Christmas in Genesis as well, um, because we find the promise coming uh, of the Lord Jesus, the first promise coming in Genesis chapter 3. But we won't be dealing with that today. Today we'll deal with the fall. And how indeed man fell. Genesis chapter 3, please, in the verse 1. And this is the word of the Lord. We read there. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, Then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both Of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed thick leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam, and said unto him, Where art thou? We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. We're thinking on this title, The Fall, The Fall. Quite often when you'll hear people asking the question, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why is there evil in this world? Why are there many horrible diseases that take people's lives? And the question, why? is asked so much and all these questions are good and right questions to ask because it's clear that there is something that has seriously gone wrong 
with this world. So this morning we ask the question, why? Why all of this? Why do we have to deal with all these difficulties and all these problems in our lives? And the answer is found in our passage. In fact, every evil, every sickness, every rebellious act, every act of deception is traced back to these verses in Genesis chapter 3. Think about it. Every disagreement. Every single heartache, anything that has caused you stress, anything that's kept you up at night or brought you to tears, comes back to this historical event in our passage this morning. Every tragedy, every disaster, everything that's ever happened bad in the history of this world can be traced back to what Adam and Eve did here in the Garden of Eden. So I would say it's critical wouldn't you, that, that we know what went wrong. In fact, the rest of the Bible deals with the results and the issues surrounding what happened in these verses. And I would say if we don't have a proper understanding of this passage, we literally will not understand everything else in God's word. Therefore, we need to clearly understand the passage because the first sin is found here and found within it is the anatomy of sin or in other words, the pattern of all sins. In the opening chapters so far, God has completed creation, the whole universe. He's made man and woman the crown jewels of his creation. He's placed them on earth where the center of all of God's work will happen. He gave... He gave humanity full dominion over all the earth and all that was within it. He provided every blessing that they could ever imagine to them. That they had all they needed, both spiritually and physically. They depended on God physically for food, for air to breathe, for water to drink. And so they were completely dependent on God for everything physically. But Adam and Eve, unlike the rest of creation, required the Lord to sustain them spiritually as well. They were dependent on God spiritually for his wisdom to make the right choices, to make proper decisions, to know how to live, to even know how to worship and glorify God. And at that point, just before we enter chapter 3, at this point, everything is perfect. And everything is very good. And that's the background to where we arrive today. And as always, let's take the passage as it presents itself before us. I want you to notice firstly today the enemy. I want you to notice the enemy. Look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The serpent. You know, Satan has been caricatured so much by writers and artists and actors and comedians. The most people today don't really believe that the devil really exists. Or if they do believe he exists, they don't take him seriously. This serpent found in this verse was a real reptile. And at the time, he probably came in an upright position because we know that the curse put snakes on their belly. And so this is not a myth. 
This is not a parable. This is not a dream. This is very real. This, what we're reading this morning, is a historical event. And it's not too far to stretch and imagine that Eve had probably seen this serpent many times. And she was comfortable. He was extraordinarily attractive. He made himself non-threatening. He, he was unsuspecting. And Satan often uses the beauty of this world, doesn't he? And although we don't know much about his beginning, we know that Satan is real, and Satan is an enemy, and Satan is dangerous. Here in Genesis 3, Satan is described as a serpent. That's an image that's repeated in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. In Revelation 12, he's called a dragon. And both the name serpent and dragon are combined in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2. Dear friends, dear brothers, dear sisters today, Satan is a serpent who deceived and still deceives today. The Bible describes God's enemy as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In John chapter 8 verse 44, the Lord Jesus called Satan the father of lies. The Lord Jesus also called Satan the evil one and the prince of this world. Paul and John also called the devil the evil one. And Paul said Satan is the god of this age. Satan is the leader of the world system and the leader of the demonic forces of evil. Warren Wearsby puts it this way. Satan, now listen to this please. Satan is no pushover. And God's people must be careful not to give him a foothold in their lives. And Warren Wearsby goes on to write, that's why we're studying God's word. And seeking to understand the strategy of Satan. As we think about our enemy, I want to remind you what's behind Satan's temptation. You remember, or maybe you, you can look at this later this afternoon in Isaiah 14. You read the account of the rebellion of Satan against God. And, and this rebellion of Satan, this magnificent angel happened before human history began. But there we find in Isaiah 14, that infamous verse, Satan said, I will make myself like the Most High God. So instead of being a dependent creature, which he was, giving honour and glory to God who made him, he wanted to be worshipped and he wanted to be like God. And so Satan rebels from what God wanted him to be and the result was that he was cast out of heaven and he took one third of the heavenly angels with him. So realizing he couldn't overpower the throne of God, the devil sets out to destroy what God takes, his greatest pleasure, he seeks to destroy humanity. Me and you, that's who Satan is after. And so what's behind all of this that we're reading this morning is a war that's going on between God and Satan and it's being played out on this earth. Let me tell you something. There's a spiritual war happening right now as we preach God's word and listen to it. Satan wants to snatch the word from you. I'll tell you that's the reason why there's a prayer time before this service. That's the reason that we meet behind there. 
we pray and we uh, seek God's help because we know Satan hates what we're doing right now. Satan hates the fact that we're meeting in the Saviour's name. Satan hates the fact that we're worshipping our God. He hates it. And he'll do anything, anything, to take your mind off what we should be doing this morning as God's people, coming to worship him in spirit and in truth. Satan will use any tactic to take your mind off God's word. Satan will use any tactic to pull you away and keep you away from this place. You make sure you keep coming to have fellowship with God's people. Because Satan doesn't want you here. He's your enemy. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to you. He hates you. He hates you. Because we were created to worship God. He is our enemy. I want you to see, secondly, his strategy. I want you to see his strategy. Look at verse 1 again, and you'll notice that word subtle or crafty. It says, now the the serpent was more subtle. Subtle. That carries with it the thought of intelligence. That that he's wise in some ways. He's subtle. He's clever. He's devious. I can only speculate, but I believe this animal was the way he was because Satan had entered him. And he was being manipulated by Satan. And Satan was simply using him as a mouthpiece. And we know this is Satan because Paul tells us this in Romans 16.20. And referring to verse 15 of our passage. The God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet. And John tells us in Revelation 29. The serpent of old who is called the devil. Were in no doubt that this serpent it was Satan himself. This was Satan. And his stra- the strategy of Satan, we need to look at so carefully. It's found in the next part in verse 1, right through to verse 5. Let's just read it again quickly. It says here, And he said unto the woman, this is Satan speaking to Eve, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And here Satan talking again, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. But God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I want you to see the conception here of sin, where sin is conceived, where evil in man is conceived, through questioning the validity of God's word. Do you see what Satan says there? He turns to the woman and he says, Has God really said? He questions God's word. Has God really said you shouldn't eat of every tree in the garden? Take note. Take note, dear Christian, today. The primary way that Satan will attack the Christian is by bathing the words of God in his language. He'll take God's word and he'll twist it. And he'll say to you, has God really said He wants us to listen 
And he wanted Eve to listen, so he used a wee bit of truth. And he mixed it with lies, and he twisted God's word, and he questioned the validity of God's word. That's how he does us. Does it? He, he lures us in. He causes us to doubt God's word. He causes us to get confused, to cause us to be misled. And he says, indeed, as God said, did he really say this? Did he really say uh, that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So Satan causes Eve to begin to question God. And Satan does that. Does that to each of us. He gets into our minds. Are you sure what you heard? Are you sure God's word really says that? We'll look back at Genesis 2 and verse 16, which we have read. When God was giving the command, and it said, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What does God say? He says you can eat from any tree in the garden. You can actually imagine God in that day saying, look at this massive, luscious garden, four rivers running through it, thousands of trees, hundreds and and thousands of pieces of fruit, and I'm giving them all to you. And God provided for Adam and Eve everything they needed and more than enough. But God says, to demonstrate that you love me, to demonstrate that you trust me, To demonstrate that you believe in me, I've left one tree, one tree in the middle of the garden which you must not eat of. So you can prove to me that you love me. So that you can prove to me that you depend on me. So that you can prove to me that you're going to obey me and you're going to worship me. Just don't eat of that one tree. You see what's going on? God actually said, look at all the trees of them all apart from one. Satan wants to distort God's generosity. And he he looks at the tree and he says, but if you eat of this tree, you're going to become as gods. God doesn't want you to have all these gifts. God wouldn't want you to enjoy all of that. And he starts subtly trying to change Eve's perception of God so that she would begin to doubt God's character. That's what the devil does. So what's at stake here? What's at stake? It's how you and I think about God. The devil wanted to get into Eve's mind and it's the same strategy today. Morris Warburton a few weeks ago when I was away, he spoke on the mind, didn't he? He spoke how the devil seeks to get into the mind. That's exactly what's happening here. Satan wanted Eve's mind and he wants your mind too. And the devil will seek to sow doubts in your mind about the greatness of our God, saying God's not generous, God's not loving. Satan wants us to think that we can't completely trust God with everything because he's holding back. So instead of Eve being under God's word, instead of Eve being dependent on God's word, Satan presents God's word as under Eve. In other words, it's left up to you, Eve. To make a decision, you pick and choose from God's word what you want to believe. It's not what the devil does. He gives us half-truths, he feeds us with lies. He causes us to be so selective when it comes to the Bible. 
and we like one part and we're happy to live that out but but we won't read other parts because they call for too much sacrifice we love our sin too much and the devil at that stage is winning the battle he wants your mind and so the seed of doubt is being planted and Eve continues the conversation and she says back to the serpent almost hesitantly look at verse 2 she turns to and she says We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Of all the fruit of the trees in the garden we may eat. And she's out of position now. What do I mean? She's where she shouldn't be. And she's doing what she shouldn't be doing. She's in conversation with Satan himself. She's standing in Satan's crowd. She's spending time with him. And in truth, she would have been better being like Joseph, who later in Genesis ran from temptation. But she's keeping company with the devil. She's spending time with him. And sometimes Christians will walk where they should not be. And at first you'll go and you'll know that your feet have taken you somewhere where you shouldn't be. Young people, I want you to listen. Because the devil will seek to take your feet to places that you should not be. And your friends will tempt you to go to these places. And maybe you're not quite taking part in what they're doing, but you go with them. And you're flirting with sin. You aren't taking part just yet, but but you're present in the company of the devil's cry. Can I ask all you of you here today, all of you dear Christian, can I ask you, do you spend time running with the devil's crowd? Sitting among them, listening to their chat. Maybe you're watching something you shouldn't be watching. Maybe you're listening to something you shouldn't be listening. Stop flirting with sin. Stop flirting with the devil. Don't keep company with his crowd. Don't be lured in by your friends, young people. Don't let them take you to places that you know just aren't right. The devil will use the company to lure you in and then very quickly you'll start talking like the devil's crowd. You see, Eve in her mind is now confused and as the devil starts to ask questions of her, look at what she goes on to say. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, verse 3, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now hold on a minute. You need to notice something that's very significant here. God didn't say anything about touching the tree. God, when he gave the command to Adam, he only commanded that they weren't to eat of the tree. God doesn't mention anything about touching. And Eve now is adding to what God says. One little word. And Eve is clearly now misunderstanding what God said. And she has her emotions involved now. And she's getting confused. And it seems that she's beginning to think that God is not fair. He's too strict. He's too rigid. You can't even touch the tree. And that's what happens once you spend time in the devil's company. It doesn't take too long for him to change your mind. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're thinking God is too strict and his requirements are too much to follow. 
you're in the same place as Eve. You're in the exact same place as Eve. And this is the most dangerous place you could ever be because it's right where Satan wants you. And in Satan questioning God's word, so Eve begins to question and add to what God really said. And in her questioning, Eve starts focusing on what she doesn't have rather than what she does have. She she has total freedom, as we've said, to eat and enjoy all the trees, the paradise of Eden, God's immeasurable goodness to her with exception of just one tree. And Satan's objective is to get you to focus on that one tree. His focus is to cause you to resent the protective boundaries that God's word puts on our lives. To safeguard us from disaster. And God gives us boundaries and principles. Why? Because he is good. Because he is loving. And because he desires our welfare. It's Satan who wants your destruction. And listen, I will say it again. Satan hates you. I mean, he detests you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take you to hell. He's a roaring lion seeking to devour you. It's amazing how we flirt with him. This is a danger, particularly for those of us who've grown up in in Christian environments. Christian homes, Christian parents or gone to church from an early age. I'm one of them. And often we're more susceptible to this approach of the enemy because we feel like we've missed out somehow. Can you see the conception of evil here? Questioning the validity of God's word, which is effectively questioning, questioning the character of God himself. Notice how clever Satan is. Notice it. He gets Eve to focus on what she does not have. Causing her, like us, to forget the countless blessings she had. More than she could ever imagine. She starts thinking, God isn't fair, he's limiting me. That's what he's doing. Verse 5. He's telling Eve, the devil, he's telling Eve, you're missing out. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, that your eyes will be open, you're missing out, Eve. And you'll be as God's, knowing good and evil, Eve, you're missing out. Verse 4, she starts grumbling and complaining. She's saying that I, we're, we're not allowed to touch this tree. She starts to grumble and complain of what she doesn't have. It's easy to sin when we're complaining, isn't it? But it's hard to sin when we're being thankful for what we have. Well, let's apply this. Where are you in your life right now? Are you being tempted to focus on what God has not given you instead of the blessings he's provided for you? Have you stopped recently and thanked God for everything he's done for you in in your life? We could start by thanking him for sending his son to die on the cross to take God's wrath in your place. To be our substitute for his love. We could thank him for his sovereignty, for working all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We could thank him for our very life. We could thank him for our families, for our work, for the ability to be able to sit here this morning and study his word. So I wonder, I wonder, is there someone sitting here, someone listening, and Satan, he has planted a negative seed in your heart. 
And there's something in your life that you're bitter about. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted God. You've never trusted the validity of his word. Maybe it's something that hasn't worked out in your life and you're bitter and you're blaming God. Maybe it's something that you wanted and you haven't got it and it's caused you to be upset and angry with God. Maybe you question God and you do look around the world and ask the why question, you blame him. Maybe you look at his word and you say he's too strict, he doesn't understand, I could never completely trust God. I could never make him Lord of my life. If that's where you are, please write this down and make a mental note. You're right where Satan wants you. And he's got you in his hand. That's a very dangerous place to be. And that can lead you straight into the pit of hell. If Satan has your life in his hands, we have sang about the chosen man of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning in that second hymn. He died for you. He can take you out of Satan's hand and place you in his hand. John 10 tells us that no one can snatch us out of his hand. Dear friend, you need to trust Christ today. We've thought of the enemy. We've thought of his subtle strategy. But I want you to see the tragedy. The tragedy. Look at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof. And did eat, and gave also one to her husband with her, and he did eat. I want you to look at this sixth verse very, very carefully. You see, there's four words in this verse that sort of give us a frame by frame picture of what happened in the life of Eve when she disobeyed God and fell for the temptation of the devil and brought sin into her heart. It began when it says there at the start of the verse, she saw. She saw. But you see, it wasn't just an ordinary look. It wasn't just a glance. She saw with desire. She she was longing. And do you notice it says that she noticed three things when she was looking, when she saw of this fruit that she was forbidden to eat, she saw, first of all, that it was good for food. The appeal was physical. It was pleasant to the eyes. The appeal was emotional. And it was a tree to be desired to make one wise, the verse tells us. The appeal was spiritual. And you see, the way this is the way the devil tempts us in these three avenues. He'll tempt you physically. He will tempt you emotionally and he will tempt you spiritually or he'll do all three at the same time. But look at the four stages here. She saw number two, then she took number three, then she did eat. Number four, she gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Can you see the fall into sin, frame by frame, step by step? She saw, she took, she ate, she gave. Once the sin was conceived in her heart, she took, she ate, she gave, she took. He ate, and it went that fast. One verse. 
apparently with no hesitation from Adam. It's very interesting that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, it tells us that Eve was deceived, but not Adam. Maybe you're here today and you're not deceived like Adam. Perhaps every word I have said today is just perfectly clear. I don't know every heart in this place. Only God does. And there's been many a person has sat in a pew like each one of us. And today they're out in the world with no thought of God. I don't really know our, our, any, every heart here. Only God does. And you could sit well dressed for church today. You could come looking the part. But don't you think that God doesn't know your heart? And maybe you sit here today, you've heard the scripture from a young age, and maybe you're not deceived like Adam, perhaps you willingly disobey God's word. And you're not going to obey. You know the truth of it, and it doesn't matter to you anyway, and just like Adam, you're going to turn away from it. Adam simply ignored the warning. He just ignored it. And, and God had made Adam to be the head. But instead of being the head, he was being led. And instead of taking the lead, he allowed Eve to eat the fruit and hand it to him. When Adam ate, the entire human race was plunged into sin. It's Adam, it's Adam's name throughout the rest of scripture that we read who first sinned. Adam. And he willingly disobeyed God. Well, you might be saying, you know, this whole issue of sin and judgment and answering to God and dealing with evil, that doesn't apply to me, Peter. Well, maybe maybe you look the part today, but you're secretly disobeying. Let me tell you, this applies to you. And you'd better get serious about what God's word says. Maybe you're a Christian today and you've been your fellowship's been marred for some time. You better get serious. This is no play game. This is real. This is real. And the devil is real. And he'll seek to mar your fellowship with God over and over again. Look at verse 7. As soon as sin entered, Adam and Eve were tragically transformed as well as the whole of creation. Look at what it says. And the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They realize their guilt, which produces fear. And fear makes us run and hide. How pathetic, how pathetic. They believe that fig leaves can cover up their humility and shame. And we do the same thing. We ignore our sin at times and we try to hide it like Adam and Eve. And we honestly believe that God wouldn't be able to see it anymore. And that's what everyone's been doing since the fall. In fact, we try to cover up our guilt and our sin with the thick leaves of good deeds and religious efforts and going to church and speaking about religious things. But as we said already, and make, may this burn into every soul this morning, God sees your heart. You can't hide your sin from him. We can't hide our sin. It cannot be done by human effort. It's got to come from outside us. And Adam and Eve, their actions really illustrate clearly that sin does need some sort of covering. 
They needed an atonement for sin. But what's going on here? Adam and Eve are learning that everything that God said did happen. And listen carefully. Everything that Satan has said would happen did not happen. And we see it verified in these verses. You see, Satan told them the good parts, but he didn't tell them the bad parts. And I'll tell you the bad far outweighed the good. The fig leaves weren't enough to cover their sin. And so they tried to do more to hide from God. Look at verse 8. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. Now God would have been perfectly just to kill Adam and Eve immediately, wouldn't he? He could have wiped them off the face of the earth and sent them directly to hell immediately. But for the first time, really, what we see in God's word here is his grace. We see his grace. He comes not running. Do you see what it says? And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He comes not running, but walking in the most pleasant part of the day. Seeking to restore fellowship. His greatest pleasure. Maybe you've been in, dear Christian, walking in a way you shouldn't have been for a while now. Can I remind you, no matter how many steps you've gone down that backsliding path, that it only takes one step back to the Saviour. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that grace? Maybe you're someone you've never, ever trusted Christ. You've been walking in the way of the world for a long time. You've taken many steps. One step. It's not we gospel him say only a step to Jesus. Why not take it now? You know, we learn a lot, so many valuable lessons. And I could go on and on and on in these verses. But let me give you a few things to think about as we conclude. We need, dear Christian, to have a keener awareness of sin and the seriousness of sin and the devil and evil. We need a greater commitment in our physical senses and appetites to to honour the Lord because that's where Satan comes first. He comes to the mind. We need a deeper love and thankfulness for everything that God has done for us. When we come to him in thankfulness and see all the abundant blessings that he gives to us, we don't focus on those things that Satan wants us to focus on, the things that we think we're missing out on. We need a stronger desire for his word. To walk closer with him. To be the one of, the man of Psalm 1 who delights in the law of the Lord. To me, to be more dependent on him. You know, the main question we need to ask when it comes to the fall is found in the final verse that we read this morning. 
This is the main question I want you to ask your heart before the Lord, because these are the words of the Lord God himself. The Lord came in verse 9. We read there, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Can I ask you this morning, in light of your walk with God, if you even have one, where art thou? Where art thou? And there's only two answers. If you're walking in close fellowship with God each day, or you're on that wandering path. Praise God for those of us who have trusted Christ as Saviour. The relationship will never be broken and one day we'll be in heaven with him. But how's your fellowship with him today? Where art thou, dear Christian? Maybe you're here in the meeting. You've never trusted Christ as Saviour. Well, I can tell you where you are today. You're finding Adam. You're a sinner. You're far from God. And the results of the fall are if you're not found in Christ. When you die or when Christ comes again, dear friend, you'll be found in hell. These are serious verses. Where art thou? We leave that question in the heart and we'll leave it to linger there this morning. And if you're not walking with God, I hope that verse is burnt in your soul for the rest of this day and the rest of this week. Till you make sure it's right. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. We're going to sing together as we close this part of our service. Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus. He'll carry you through. Isn't that the wonderful part of this passage this morning? Even though we read of the fall, the rest of scripture teaches us of the Messiah who would come. And he did come. Here we are in the month of December. The church beautifully displayed with lovely verses about our Savior. The Isaiah 9 verses are right around us this morning. And that's the wonder of Christmas. The one who came to reverse the effects of the fall. And praise God many of us here are trusting in him. And keep you looking ever to Jesus. He'll carry you through.